I think uh, Sunday nights are, if you're struggling to read your Bible uh, on your own and, and come to grips with it, that's, the, I think, the benefit of Sunday nights. Try to go verse by verse and just unpack a book. And I know this is lesson 46 on, on the book of Acts, but um, I think it's been, an, it's, it's been a great journey for me, and hopefully for those of you who've been here on, on uh, Sunday nights have found benefit in it. That's, the benef- that's one of the benefits you know, coming on a Sunday night is it's a little bit more informal and you get to, you get to think about the text. And I think we, we need that. I know in, 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 in church we've, we've grown up always hearing a lot of word, um, <clears throat> but the word is good for us. I hope, I just wish we could have more fellowship, to be honest. I wish we could spend some more time together, you know, doing stuff. But we'll work on that. All right, we're in chapter 17. Uh, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, they were in the previous lesson, what we spoke about last week, they were politely asked to leave Philippi. I know for those with gray hair, it's a little bit hard to see over there, but that's Philippi. Uh, They were politely asked to leave Philippi, and then they moved on to, sorry, that was two weeks ago. You can't see Caleb. Yeah, you guys are old. Then they moved on to Thessalonica which you can see over there, Thessalonica. So they were in Philippi, then they moved on to Thessalonica. And there they found a synagogue, and they went into the synagogue, and they preached there for three Sabbath days. And the text says that they reasoned with the Jews who were there. And they reasoned about the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. That this guy who died on a cross in rags, he actually is the Messiah. They didn't, they didn't agree with him on that because they thought he's going to be a powerful warrior. Meanwhile, he's a guy that dies on a cross. So they struggled to believe that. But nevertheless, although people struggled to believe it, many of the Jews became jealous and they formed a mob. Where did they find this mob? In the marketplace. In the marketplace. At Jason's, yes. The, the mob went to Jason's house. Yes. So they go into the marketplace and they, they get all the bad guys from the marketplace to, to, to get some guys to run to Jason's house. They go to Jason's house, they arrest him. That's what Jason's deserve. And then later on they release him on bond. We don't know exactly what that means, but it seems like they sort of make a deal with him. You can always make a deal with Jason. It's easy to persuade him. The accusation was that these missionaries had caused trouble all over the world. That's what the text said. These guys have come here, they've caused trouble all over the world, and this is the trouble. They claim that there's another king. It was illegal in the Roman Empire to say that there's any other king except the Caesar. And so they said Jesus was king, and that got them into trouble. We learned a few things. If we want to fight for something, we want to have arguments with people about theological issues, let it be about Jesus, not about other insignificant things. Secondly, It's okay to have a bad reputation if that reputation is bad because of the gospel. If it gets you into trouble for preaching Jesus, that's great. People know that you're a troublemaker because of Jesus, that's fine. That's our deal. But if any other reason, it's bad. Okay. So I I want us to take note just quickly as we go into this text for tonight that the the guys in Thessalonica, when, when the apostles arrived there, they weren't like, hey, come in and... Yeah, we say whatever and we agree with you. They were in opposition to what they said. They had a problem with Jesus being this, this king. The people in Thessalonica had their own agenda. 
They were jealous of what the apostles were preaching. They opposed them. They didn't like what they were preaching. Although some people believed, remember, they stirred up a mob and made it difficult for the um, apostles. They did not have a love for the truth. They had a love for the crowds. That's the same thing that we see in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus would speak the truth. The Pharisees would dislike him. Why? Because he was stealing their converts, sheep stealing. Okay? So we know that the the mob went to Jason's house. They took him to to, to prison. Then they released him again. But nowhere in the text, for those of you who were last week, does it say where Paul is. Paul, I don't know where he was hiding, but he wasn't there. So they couldn't find him. So that's where we are with the story. Before we continue reading, you know, I'd like to start with some questions. Would you consider yourself to be open-minded? Are you an open-minded person or a closed-minded person? Have have you made up your your mind that you know everything and that you carry the truth? Only you know. Nobody can persuade you of nothing. You're it. I like to use the word concretized. Your brain is concretized for eternity. Not going to change. Piece of concrete. All right. Secondly, um, what does a noble person look like? A noble person. Out of interest sake, what do you think noble means? Anybody? Noble. Higher rank. What did you say? Mom? Trustworthy? I think a noble person is trustworthy. All right. Um, do people generally have valid excuses for not studying their Bibles? I've heard, I've heard lots of excuses. But, and honestly, I'm asking the question like, is it a valid excuse? Well, I, I'm not, I can't really read that well. Or, and maybe that is a valid excuse. You know, I, I don't think everybody has got the same educational level. For some people, it's easier to study than it is for others. I specifically put in the word study there because one of the most valuable things in your life um, is not only um, reading the Bible, it's studying it. I, I, I always use this phrase, what you study stays. What you read doesn't always stay. I mean, I can find myself reading. I never get like remember what it, what's going on there. So what you study stays. The studying of the Bible is increasing, is, is very important. Can mob and riot behavior be characterized as spirit-driven? Capital S. Would God be the one that's leading people to raise up a mob um, and a riot? And I'm going to speak a little bit. And you know, this has come up every time. Every city these guys go to. Does Christian persecution increase as Christian boldness increases? The more we stand up for for Christ, the harder we stand for the truth, is that going to increase opposition? Um, Are people going to dislike us more and more and more? We'll we'll see some of these things come into the text for tonight. Okay, so in verse 10, let's go. Remember, we were at Jason's house. We don't know where Paul is. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. So they immediately get chased uh, away, and where do they go? They go to, uh, not chased away, they they move away, they go to Berea at night, from Thessalonica to Berea, just to make sure that we get it sort of on the map. Um, Sorry for interrupting the text there, I just wanted to make clear we understand where this is. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. So there's a comparison between Thessalonica and Berea. They received the word with eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Um, 
There's not much that I want to say about Berea. It doesn't seem to be a particularly significant town. But what the text tells us um, is that the Jews living in Berea were more noble than the Thessalonians. Now, the word noble means literally, in Greek, well-born, born in the right family. You know, like, for example, of the lineage of, a, of, of royalty. You're a noble person of a noble family or high in rank. Being noble means that you are of a higher class or you have fine personal qualities, high moral principles like trustworthiness, exemplary character. Now, in the context here, I don't think it's got anything to do with birth, you know, genetic issues, whether you're in a royal family. I think it's just got to do with character, right? They've got a certain type of character. Now, in broad strokes, the text tells us what makes them noble. Okay? First of all, they had open minds. Open minds. I'm going to take you back to the text. It says in verse 11, Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness. That's what the NIV says. But there's only one Greek word used there. And that Greek word is prothumia. Prothumia. Prothumia means readiness of mind. They were ready in their minds for the truth. Right? If your brain is ready to receive something, what does it tell you about your brain? It's open. Here, my mind is open. Tell me, what do you have? It's a willing mind. A willing mind. I'm willing to learn. I'm open-minded. I mean, I want you to see this in the context of the first century. These Jews didn't believe in Jesus. They didn't know Jesus. They didn't know the Messiah had come. And Paul comes in there with a the strange teaching of a guy hanging on a cross. The guys in Thessalonica, they were closed-minded. They've already decided before the Apostle Paul arrived, we're not going to agree with whatever is coming. It's noble have an open mind. So, it means forwardness of mind. You want to expand your thinking. That's noble. You want to expand your thinking. You don't want to shrink it, and you don't want to limit it. You want to increase your thinking. You want to be a better thinking. You are open-minded, and you are ready to be corrected. You are not set in your ways. Your brain isn't concretized. It's flexible. You are open to the truth. That word appears in the New Testament a few times, and it's used by Paul, and it's always used by Paul in a positive sense. He says it's a good thing to have an open mind. It's a good thing to have a flexible mind. Okay, so it's an, it's an noble thing, to be open-minded, to be progressive in your thinking, to grow. But it has to be towards the truth. You've got to be open for the truth. In other words, you've got to be open that you might be wrong. That's noble. What's ignoble is when you think I'm right, and nobody can change that. And I'm not willing to listen to anything else. That's bad. Bad, bad, bad. We'll get to that. 
So they had open minds. That's noble. Secondly, they had open Bibles. A person with an open mind and an open Bible is a noble person according to the text. Why do I say that? Because they did what? Examined. They examined what? The Scriptures. Anakrino means to scrutinize, to investigate, to interrogate, to examine. They had open Bibles and they were examining that. And the way that they did this is worthy to take note of. They did this when? Once a week. Daily. They did this daily. Why? Why would you want to do it daily? You, they were there for three weeks, the apostles, right? No. Sorry, it doesn't say that. But they went into the Sabbath. Why would they daily do it? Who would daily get into the Bible and examine stuff? People that really want to figure it out. Wouldn't you say so? People that really want to figure it out. It's important to them. They want to know the truth. They loved the truth. They were always looking for it. That's noble. It's noble to test yourself. It's noble to study the Scriptures. It's noble to be open-minded, to find the truth. And they knew, and this is another noble character trait, they knew that the way to truth isn't just following what a guy says. I don't know what your translation says, but most of the translation says they, they basically wanted to test if what Paul was saying was true. What? If Paul was here, would you say, um, I hear what you're saying, bud. I'm first going to go check. Don't trust you. The guy that did incredible miracles, that gave up his, lives, uh, his life, that's, that's got bruises in his body for this gospel. <laughs> he heals people, drives out demons. You say to him, Bruh, I hear what you're saying, but I'm going to go check for myself first. That's incredible. That's incredible, noble character. They had a healthy suspicion of what the apostle said. A healthy suspicion. A healthy suspicion is great. Because you hear what people say. You're open-minded. But you want to go check for yourself. Now, a few observations. What is a noble character? In this context, it is an openness to be corrected by truth. Combined with a critical search for truth. I think, hopefully, that's self-explanatory. Um, Alfredo was in a youth group in East London, and they made um, hoodies, sweatshirts, or whatever you call it, and on the back, they, they, they put on this statement, the truth fears no questions. We should have that mentality. The truth fears no questions, right? In many churches, you cannot question certain teachings or doctrines. Because for 40 years, it's been this way. You have to go with that. You can't. You, you can never revisit it. It's been concretized. It's been, it's been set in stone. It cannot be wrong. Because 30 years ago they said it's the truth. So those guys who said it's the truth, they can't be wrong. That's not a Berean attitude. A Berean attitude is even if the apostles said it, you're going to go test it. And even if it has been the truth for 30 years, you're still going to go test it. The status quo beliefs cannot be questioned with Scripture. That's the mentality when you say it's concretized. You can't ask questions about these doctrines. That is the spirit of Pharisaism. I'm closed-minded. I'm concretized. I'm not going to change. Don't teach me anything. I'm not open to anything. And if you come with anything else, you are my enemy. I'm going to push you out. That's exactly what happens um, in Thessalonica. 
Second observation is this. A person that loves the truth will take personal responsibility in finding it. A personal responsibility. That's what they did. They themselves went and searched the Scriptures. I want to find out what's the truth. It's, it's interesting how many ignoble Christians there are. These Bereans, as I said, didn't take the apostles' words, but studied themselves. Today, people take the pastor's word for something. The pastor said so. You know why? Because they're too lazy to go study it themselves. I mean, how many people do that? This is why I'm, I'm as, as, as a person who preaches now, I try to be, I try to be, don't always get it right, I try to be as sensitive as possible to, pre, to sort of present what I see in the text, but leaving it open so you can investigate it yourself. And follow what I say. That's the last thing in the world I want people to do is like, this is what I say. And then people get offended when I say something that just God says. No, you need, don't be upset with me, be upset with him. He said it, not me. I had a, a guy last year. We're sitting at their, their, their table talking about being a disciple and things. And the guy says to me, um, you know, we, we're talking about a, a, a debatable thing and whatever. And he says to me, you, you just tell me what the truth is and, and I will follow that. Just tell me what to believe. And I said to him, come close. I want to hit you with an elbow in the head. Come. No, I'm joking. I didn't do that. But I'm like, dude, how is that mentality? Yet if, if you say so, I, I will follow it. Yet what if I'm a wolf in sheepskin? What if I'm after your money? What are you going to do then? What if I want to mislead you? What if I'm not led by God? How do you trust me? You have to take personal responsibility for the truth. You need to find it. Now, I'm not saying that that, that, um, that doesn't mean we don't need teachers and things. The teachers help us, point us, help us understand the text. But at the end of the day, you're going to be held responsible for the truth that you, that you seek. And I'm going to be held responsible for the truth that I preach. All right. Chapter 17, verse 12. Many of them, therefore, believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Many of them, therefore. That word, therefore, is interesting. Because they had this noble attitude, they believed. Because of their the way of thinking, as a result of their noble character, Many people were converted. I immediately thought about this text. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, same thing that happens here in Berea, the Jews believed the truth. Jesus said to them, if you abide in my word, goes back to the text, you abide by my word, you are truly my disciples. You seek my word, you hang in there, you deal with it, you live in it, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. You'll know the truth if you abide in my word. And then the truth will set you free. John 8, 31 to 32. That's how come these guys were converted. They were set free from their sin. They were set free from their traditions. Why? Because they abided in the word. and They were seeking for truth. And then they found the truth. And then the truth set them free. Absolutely beautiful. They wanted the truth. And they sought the truth at the right place. And they found it. If you seek the truth, you will find it. That is why they were noble. They cared about the the opposite is also true, I would say. If you don't care about the truth, you will end up trusting a lie. If you don't seek it, you're just going to think anything is the truth. That is not noble. That's innoble. 
It's interesting also, in the, in the years of ministry in the church, how you meet people, and they would, like, always push certain things, certain teachings and, and doctrines and, and things. And then I would ask them, um, so you believe this? They say, yes, fully, 100%. So say, okay, so why do you believe that? Uh, we were taught this when we, just before we got baptized. Or we were told this by so-and-so preacher. Oh, but the church has always taught this. Now, my, my question was, can you show me why you believe that? And most people cannot. You would hear people in the church, and maybe some of us are guilty here tonight. And let's be honest about it. You believe certain things, but you cannot prove it. You believe, for example, um, baptism is necessary for salvation. Okay, can you prove it? Have you done a study yourself? What if you're wrong? I'm using that as an example. Like, we've got to be sure about our convictions that we can prove it ourselves. Right? Otherwise, we're also just following whatever whoever said. Um, and then that maybe brings up the question, you know, about how well we can study and, and, and things like that. Because we do need people to help and guide us. You know, not everybody has got a degree in theology or, or, or whatever. But there's personal responsibility. And I think here's, here's the key as well. The things that are important to God, I think everybody can understand. The things that are important and that are really essential are actually understandable. And those are the things that each and every one of us can discover. All right, verse 13. But when the Jews from Thessalonica, oh, here they come. Every time Paul leaves one city and then the guys from the previous city, they arrive. Hey? You try to escape old friends, make new friends, then the old friends arrive. Shame, man. When the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too. Paul just ran away from there. Here they arrive. And what do they do? Agitating and stirring up the crowds. Same thing again. You guys who've been here on Sunday nights will know this is not the first time. I think when, you know, when... when What's the sounds that you hear when you go to sleep at night? Okay, ladies, don't talk about your husband snoring. <laughs> we, were <at> people <laughs> we were at people's house on Friday, and he's making me coffee. He's got this wonderful coffee machine. He's a doctor. And, um, and he's busy making me his coffee, and I check on top of the coffee machine where the, where the beans grind. There's these gum gods lying on top of the <laughs> coffee machine. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I said to him, yeah, bro, what, what's that? Like, what, what are these things? He says, oh, that's so embarrassing. It's his snoring mechanism. It keeps his, when he sleeps, his jaw goes back. And, <laughs> and he wakes up in the morning and he takes it out and puts it on the coffee thing. And here he is busy making coffee for me. <laughs> when, 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 when I was a kid and we used to swim the whole day at the beach, and that night I climb in bed. You know, I can, I can still feel the movement of the ocean. It's like your brain is like, and the sound of the waves you can hear. I want you to picture for a moment, what did Paul hear when he went to bed at night? What does a, what does a riot sound like? What fear does that instill in you, knowing there's a crowd of people 
that want you dead. You've got to escape from city to city. You've got, to, you've got to go hide in the dark. And all you're doing is proclaiming the message of truth. And here we go again. Paul is in Berea. And there's the riot going up in the city again. A bunch of mobsters. I don't want to beat a dead horse all over again. But tonight it's in our text again. They call the guys from Thessalonica. They come in. And they say to Paul, the guys from Thessalonica, that's coming in there. They say to Paul, hey Paul, we've got a problem with you. Can we just sit there? We'll take you for lunch. Let's just sit down and talk about the differences that we have. Let's reason this out as good friends do. Let's talk through the problem. Let's find common ground, solution. That's exactly what they do, right? That's exactly what they don't do. They don't care talking to Paul. They don't want to talk to him. There's another spirit at work here, agitating and stirring up the crowd. At every corner of Paul's mission, the people of the truth are the victims of the violent mob. Godly people, noble people, peace-loving people, truth-loving people are never the ones at the head of causing and running riots. And I say this. Because you know it's happening in our world. South Africa has got riots that you cannot comprehend. We call them toy toys. They toy toy in the streets. They burn down shopping. When was, when was that thing, babes? Two years ago, three years ago? You, you, America hasn't seen riots, ladies and gentlemen. You want to see a riot, go to Africa. You'll see a riot. Yo, yo, yo. They come in the shopping malls, big shopping malls. They rob the place dry. They close off the highways. We were, as I've told you before, we were on a beach. The police came to the beach. We're swimming on the beach. They came and they said to us, listen, there's a, there's a mob coming. They're rioting. They're on their way here. They're like a mile away. They said, you need to get off the beach. We had to run and hide from street to street to get to the place where we were sleeping, scared that these guys are going to intercept us and, and, and potentially hurt us. It's all over the world. Rioting. When mobs come together, that is not by God. That is the work of Satan. And it's usually, it's always, I would say, by those who hate truth. You cannot say it's spirit-driven. It's not, it's not of God. Those who hate truth, they stir up riots and mobs. They use population power to silence truth, to blare out the sound of truth. Like a man who beats his wife because he cannot defend his ideas. And she keeps on talking and he decides, I'm going to beat you up. Or a debater who attacks the character of his opponent because he cannot reckon with his ideas. He cannot over, overcome his ideas. So he decides, I'm going to take on your character because I cannot defend my own ideas. So is a crowd that's swept up because the teachers in these towns cannot reasonably conquer the teachings of the apostles. So we're going to silence you with a crowd. And that's scary because there's power in numbers. And this is where one of the negative aspects of a democracy in a, in a world where we, the ideal world is a theocracy. But in our world, the, the, the scary part of a democracy is this, is that Satan knows. He knows that there's power in numbers. And if the majority of people hate the truth, what do we end up with? That's difficult. 
that makes life difficult for us. The more people Satan has that does not submit to truth, the more we shall see mobs rise up in opposition to the truth. Last verses, then we can go home. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. I'm sorry, I didn't put up the map here, but Athens is far away. And we're going to step into that in the following verses. And you know we've got some exciting text that comes ahead. I don't know why they took Paul to the sea. Maybe because if he stays on land, the mobs just follow him. Let's get in a ship, then the whole mob won't, you know, these guys won't, they won't go through all of that trouble. So maybe they get into a ship there and that's how they get to, um, to Athens. But has the damage already been done in Berea? <laughs> damage is already done. The kingdom has already set foot. Quick question. If Paul and Silas and Timothy preached the same gospel and were on the same mission, why was it safe for them to stay behind, but not for Paul? Because they stay behind. Paul is like running. He's gone. But Timothy and, and Silas stays behind. Perhaps they were less visible, less bold, less in front, less of the teaching and preaching. They say the highest trees catch the most wind. The brightest lights disrupts the darkness the most. The lights that shine the brightest upsets the darkness the most. And the darkness hates the light. The more you shed light in darkness, the more the darkness will hate you. The more you speak truth, the more people will believe who believe lies will hate you. The more you shine, the more you will be canceled. Maybe that's what happens here. So be happy if you speak the truth and people feel uncomfortable with you. Be happy. Good job. Because you're shining bright. Paul was now in Athens, and he called, I want you to read the text with me, if you don't mind, to close off with 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. <clears throat> Paul finds himself here in Athens. We don't know much about Athens except what we are going to read next week. But he's calling for Timothy and Silas to come to him as soon as possible. And they probably did. Maybe not long after this, they arrived. We don't know. But when they did arrive, Paul sent Timothy back to Macedonia. So what I'll do is, let me go back quickly and just uh, show you the map. Sorry. So there's Philippi. This Thessalonica. Yeah, how can I stop shaking? I mustn't hunt like this, eh? Let me check this. Yo, Thessalonica, Berea. There's, there's Athens, right? So Paul has come from Berea. He gets to Athens. And somewhere in between this, as he's in Athens, um, Timothy and Silas come to him as well. 
It's not recorded except this little bit that we read in Thessalonians. But Paul from Athens sends back Silas, uh, uh, Timothy specifically to Thessalonica, not to Berea. Why? So I want you to imagine they arrive in Athens and, and, and Paul says, guys, I, I want you to please go to Thessalonica. And I want you to see Paul's heart. And I want you to remember Thessalonica is the place where some people believed the gospel and many didn't. And he was hated in Thessalonica. And let's read this text. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. <clears throat> but brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. Paul says, I long intensely to be with the church. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. Paul is talking about a church here, new Christians, who live in a town where there's Jews that hate him and want him dead. And he wanted to go back and he wanted to see them and, and he wanted to spend time with them. Why? Because he longed for them. And let's read what the text says further. And when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. He's in Athens there. When we could stand it no longer. What, what do you think that means? How's it going with you guys? You are in this place. You are living with these Jews who, who, who want people like me dead. We're concerned about you. We were kicked out of Thessalonica. We wonder, how's it going? We don't have Facebook. We don't have emails. We don't know how's it going. And we can't stand this. We care about you. So we decided, I'm going to stay in Athens, and we're going to send Timothy to you to go find out how you are. What an incredible world we live in. I can phone my mom right now on the other side of the world and find out how she is. These guys didn't have that blessing. So verse 2 says, We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. Why did they need that strength? So that no one would be unsettled by these trials. Which trials? What do you think those Jews were like? They left Thessalonica. They go, travel all the way to Berea to go mess up with Paul. How do you think they treated the guys who Paul baptized in that town? How do you think the Christian movement was flourishing? Brand new Christian, and you're being persecuted by the people in town. That's horrible. So he sends Timothy. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. It's part of the Christian walk. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way as you well know. You've seen it. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I wanted to know how you are doing. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. I'll be honest with you. There are certain people in this town that I feel the same way about. People that have been baptized recently that I am so scared the tempter has got a hold of them. And you might know some people like that, and I want to challenge you, and I'm challenging myself this week, 
to go see them. Paul would send Timothy to travel for hours and days to see if those who had come to Christ are okay in their faith. The six says, Timothy has now come back, right? But Timothy is just now, brother, where's, from now on, it's biblical, just now. <laughs> it's biblical, it's in the Bible. <laughs> but Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. Can you imagine what it must feel like? Timothy arrives back from Thessalonica. Man, the church is pumping. People are loving. They've got their faith. They're solid. Despite these persecutions, they are standing strong. That's a real, real faith. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Wow. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. And then he says, for now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. So you, you weren't living before this? Paul is saying, I, I was half living. I wasn't really living because I, I couldn't live fully because I wasn't sure about your faith. That is how intense Paul was about people being in a real relationship with Jesus Christ. It affected his own life. And if that is not happening in our personal lives, we need to pray about that and ask God to help us. Because certainly, it's not like that always for me. We need to have compassion for one another's spiritual lives. Verse 9, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for Paul's example.